The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome, boys and girls, back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one of the only, the hairy mistress herself, the one who goes grr in the night and purr in the day. <laughs> Tammy, the Sasquatch, Underwood, say, oh, yes, big daddy. <laughs> that's grr in the streets, purr in the sheets, bitch. Oh, my God, that's even better. <laughs> Holy shit! I love that one. I'm at, I got <laughs> hi everybody. I'm actually mad at you for that, and let me tell you why. Because I didn't fucking. I know. Think I was going to say I'm shocked you didn't come up with that, but hey. Damn it! I got one up. <laughs> you, you did. I did it. Yes. So I got to update everybody on the t-shirt thing. So yeah, the t-shirts are. Uh, we have five t-shirts that are available on our. Uh, Should be available on our uh, eBay eBay account. Yeah. However. Which makes no sense. We went to go set up an Etsy store, and we uploaded everything. And before it even went on, they said that we're suspended for some reason. And we're trying to figure out why, because we didn't yeah. do anything to violate their, their terms of service. And uh, so, and then they sent a code that's, you know, or email that said, congratulations on opening your store. Yeah. Later on. God. And our account's still temporarily suspended for some reason. We don't know yet. Yeah. So, so we're trying I- to get that all straightened out. We can get you T-shirts. There's only five to choose from on our end. There'll, there'll be a link in the bio. Yeah, in, and in I'll try to submit through our Printify link, too. Yeah, so we're working yeah. it all so out. So we're Just, trying to work it out. So y'all, please be patient with us, okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So today we have part two of Sam Little. This guy's a freaky diggy, yeah. man. Yeah, well, remember in part one, I mean, he had traveled all over the country and everything, and he was finally picked up on an old drug charge and extradited back to California where they ran his DNA and found out that he was his DNA was associated with three murders in L.A. Right, right, right. Okay, and that's where I ended off is he had been convicted, but he still maintained his innocence. Okay? But, you know, the prisons are filled with, with innocent, innocent people. Two things. Innocent people and people who find God. Uh, Keith Jesperson and I were just talking about that uh, Monday. So yesterday, yeah. Okay. And uh, he called me and him, him and I were chit-chatting. And we were talking about the religious aspect of, of criminality. And every time somebody goes to prison. Oh, yeah. They find God. Always. And then they lose God when they get out because they get led astray. Right. And then when they get back into prison, they find God. As soon as, the, as, soon as they are in handcuffs again. Yeah. Then it's like, yeah. oh, please, Lord, save me. Uh, why, didn't you, why, why don't you keep from, you know, being a dick the first time? Yeah. God can't save you. I you got to save yourself. how many people live, like, <laughs> devout Christians on the inside. Oh, hell yeah, man. Those are prison yard Christians right there. Yeah. Which, you know, teach their own. I don't believe in Christianity to begin with, so. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, so he, like, like I said, he maintained his innocence. And then a little over four. Now we're going to get into part two. A little over four years after that, on November 9th of 2018, he finally came forward and began revealing the truth. He started by confessing to strangling Melissa Thomas to death in Opelousa, Louisiana. Now, in 1996, 29-year-old Melissa Thomas's body was discovered in the Little Zion Cemetery, and an autopsy revealed her cause of death was the result of strangulation. After detectives didn't receive any promising leads during their investigation for several years, the case went cold, obviously. 
Right. Then in 2009, before it little had even been picked up, her sister reached out to local law enforcement officials and said, you know, it's been 13 years since my sister has been murdered. Nothing has come forward on her case. Can you please reopen the investigation? You know, or at least take a look at that cold case again. You yeah, know? F- fair enough. Fair enough. And she went on to say that both of her parents had died without knowing what happened to their daughter. And they would have wanted to know who was responsible for Melissa's murder. So Sergeant LeBlanc, Crystal LeBlanc, the officer, the detective that the sister got in touch with, was so compelled by her plea that she actually looked at, launched a new investigation herself. Now, despite her efforts to find out who murdered Melissa, it was nine more years for them. It took nine more years for them to find a suspect. The authorities probably never would have found out who was responsible if he hadn't come forward with his confessions because her case was not one of the ones that were slated for DNA testing. So as it turns out, he, he confessed to murdering Melissa Thomas was only the beginning. He went on to tell Texas Ranger James Holland that he, w- he had murdered approximately 93 women between December 31st, 1970 and 2005 in the following states. Florida, Maryland, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, Illinois, Mississippi, North- South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, California, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. The man had goals, man. He yeah. had goals. He he was, yeah. Toward the end of when Sergeant LeBlanc went to invest interrogate Little, towards the end, she asked him about his religious beliefs. Here we're going to get, right? <laughs> oh, they damn. even spent some time talking about the nature of sin. That's when Little told her that there was no reason for him to fear God. According to LeBlanc, Little said, he said, God made him this way, so why should he ask for forgiveness? He said God knew everything he did. Isn't that crazy? No, no, it's not. It actually makes sense. It kind of does, but... Well, and here's why. Here's why. If you talk to the good Christians, they say, the Lord knows everything that's going to happen, and it's all written down in the book of life, and da-da-da-da. But... For me personally, I say if that's true, then that negates free will. See, and that's where I'm at, too, because I question my faith a lot, you know. Right, right, because you are Christian. Yes. You know, which is which is fine. I don't I don't hold that against you. Right, you but know? I don't, like, shove it down people's throats either, me, so. I do, but I got to pay extra for that. In um, Thailand. <laughs> in Thailand. Um, no, but, you know, so that, that totally negates free will. But what he's saying I think is accurate. I mean, why should he yeah. have to beg for forgiveness if this God knows what, what you're going to do? Yeah. And made him that way. And, and made you that is way. Is responsible for his whatever. Right. Yeah. Because, and every time I've ever brought up anything that's similar to this, the Christians always go, well, that wasn't God's work. That was Lucifer. That would mean that. Yeah. And the, that's free freedom of choice. And people get to choose what they do. And yeah. And see. if it's the devil, that means that the devil has more power than God does. Yeah. If you think about it, if, if if everything's written down in the book of life yeah, that you are going to do and have done, mm-hmm. and the devil can change that, if Lucifer can change that, wouldn't that make him more powerful than God? Yeah, yeah, you would think. That's see, just, it, this is my opinion. I, well, see, and I always, I always struggle with the fact, because, you know, I, I'm a survivor of sex abuse, childhood sex abuse, right? I didn't choose to be sexually molested. I did, right? but I had to pay an extra 30 bot for it. <laughs> Shut um. up. Anyways, I didn't choose that life. 
So I was always under, I mean, I always had a hard time reconciling a caring, loving God that would allow those things to happen to children. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and then people were like, well, that person had, the person who did that to you had free will. Okay, well, I understand that. But where was my free will? Oh, exactly. You know? Exactly. So that's where I struggle a lot. So anyways, so I'm going to go through some of the ones he confessed to. Are you ready? I'm ready. On November 13, 2018, Little was officially charged for the murder of 30-year-old Denise Christie Brothers in Odessa, Texas. The last time she had been seen alive was in January of 1994. Eyewitnesses reported seeing her in the parking lot of a local motel before she suddenly disappeared. Her remains were found two blocks away from the motel in a vacant parking lot approximately four weeks later. The autopsy revealed she had been strangled to death. On December 13th, that same year, Little had gone to court and pled guilt of 2018. He had gone to court and pled guilty to murdering Denise, and he was given another prison sentence of life without the possibility. Okay. Then on December, I'm, I'm sorry, November 15th, 2018, he confessed to killing 23-year-old Brenda Alexander in Phoenix City, Alabama. According to District Attorney Kenny Davis of Russell County, statement that was issued after the confession. Um, they were hoping to get an indictment at that time to charge him with murder. Until Little's confession, the only information Russell County authorities had regarding Brenda's murder was in a police report from 1979. The report contained a few photographs. However, there was very little to no physical evidence. On the evening of August 25th, 1979, Brenda went to the tap room, a dance club, and liquor store combination, which tells you how Southern that is. Uh, oh, my God. Why is it always, <laughs> whenever something sounds a little white trashy? That is a lot white trashy. Uh, look, look, look. <laughs> Ghetto. Look, look. Who look, has a club in it, a liquor store? Look it, Linda, Linda, Linda. <laughs> look it. Look it. You're so dumb. It's probably right next door or part of a trailer park, okay? And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, this place was located in the corner of 8th Street and 5th Avenue in Columbus, Alabama. According to eyewitnesses, Britta was wearing a peach skirt, black disco shirt, wooden clogs, and her best, her best black Afro-style wig. Yeah. Now, Damn, she sounds hot. I know, right? Now, her remains were discovered in a wooded area on 7th Street along the 1700 block sometime after dark on the 27th. Did they find later. her after a w- wig? I think so. Sweet. She Stay was completely naked except for a leather-banded Timex calendar watch. Remember those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only evidence authorities found at the crime scene was an empty pack of Camel Filter cigarettes and an empty Miller High Life beer bo- bottle. Did you know that I call my uh, my penis Timex? Because it takes a lick and it keeps on ticking? Exactly. Yeah! (laughs) According to Little, he and Brenda had left the tap room during the early morning of August 26th. And in 2018, he was interviewed by Captain Jason Witten. Not to be confused with Jason Witten, the former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys, which is my hero and future husband. I even bet though he you that he was it. a tight end. But they, <laughs> then he went to jail and he became a wide receiver. Anyways. Like my brother Phil. My brother Phil pl- uh, was like playing football when he went to prison. He went in a tight end and came out a wide say, receiver. We all, anybody who knows me knows that I say Jason Witten's my future husband. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Does he have a one-star rating too like the Cowboys do? He is a phenomenal athlete. Shut up. We ain't got to worry about him catching COVID. I'm his t-shirt today 
We ain't got to worry about him catching COVID because the Dallas Cowboys can't catch anything. I hate you. Are you done? <laughs> oh, I could probably think of more. And the, the fucked up thing is, like, I don't even like football. It's just like when there's any natural disaster, they say the evacuation points Dallas Stadium because nothing touches down there. <laughs> I've heard them all. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so according to Witten, at one point during his interview with Little, Little looked at him in the eye and described in detail the events that occurred once Brenda was in his car. Witten said that Little wringed his hands together and smiled as he said, I knew she was mine. Memories. I know, right? Of the girl that used to be. <laughs> so during the interrogation, Little gave Witten graphic details about Brenda's murder that had never been released to the public. In his confessions, he claimed that his victims were known prostitutes. However, in 2018, Phoenix City detectives stated there was absolutely no evidence indicating Brenda was in that profession. According to a statement issued by the chief of police, who said, as far as we can tell, she was just a young woman who spent out, who went out for the night on the town and went home with the wrong person. Well, honestly, like anybody else, this was in the 70s, right? Yes. So, Late yeah. 70s. Yeah. Everybody was going out there, going to the disco. Oh, yeah. That's back. Disco was was huge. huge, yeah. Even up through the uh, you know early eighties, early eighties. Yeah. You know, hell, I'll admit it, man. I still like a little bit of disco, and not just the Bee Gees, by the way. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, th- there's roller discos, but that's what that, that's what you oh, did. Yeah. This is before internet, kids. By the way, for those of you who who don't remember when internet didn't exist. Let's I was going to say, roller disco was popular when I was in high school, too. Oh, shit, yeah, man. You know, like, we went to the rink every weekend. Yeah, there was roller discos when I was in high school, and I graduated in, in 90. Um, and, uh, you know, this is before Damn internet. Damn, you're old. I am. God dang. That I was think. way before the internet. Yeah, way. Yeah. This is four score and before the internet ago. Yeah. That I was before born. Before Google. Yeah, before Google existed or yeah. Yahoo or any even AOL. <laughs> I never thought that I would honestly. I, I was talking to a friend of mine. I never thought I'd see the day that I could go to into a regular store and buy pot. I know, right? And I don't have to worry. And the weird thing you, you probably remember this being a pothead is you're looking around for weed and you're talking to all your connections and all, what do you hear? Dude, everybody's dried up right now. Like, dude, there's nothing to be found. It's dry. Can't even get some freaking shake or anything. Now, please, you will never hear those words ever again. Never, never again. You can go get some good butt at the store, too. But I dig Greg. I know, right? (laughs) Missing my stoner days. So then. On November 16th, 2018, detectives from the Sheriff's Department, Macon, Georgia... I like Macon, man. ...announced that Little had confessed to murdering two more women. One was found in 77 and the other in 1982. Now, on September 8th, 1977, the remains of a yet-to-be-identified woman were discovered somewhere off Riverside Drive near the intersection of Sioux Drive. At the time, the... Georgia Bureau of Investigation estimated that the unknown black female was somewhere in her 30s and 40s, and the autopsy autopsy report listed her cause of death as strangulation. Now, the second victim was 18-year-old Fredonia Smith. I love that name. I've never heard that name before. Me neither. That's freaking, you know, it's distinctly black. I can can, can tell you that, but... yeah. that is actually an awesome name. Holy cow. To our, to our black listeners out there, it's like, seriously, if you're going to have children, please name one of them Fredonia, because that is... That is I mean, it is a pretty name. I like that. Yeah. It flows. Because I get this image of, in my head 
of this beautiful black lady, mm-hmm. you know, named Fredonia, and you know, maybe maybe she's got it's the seventies, so she probably has like a, a bit of a fro going on, and she's wearing her bell bottoms and they're tied up on top, so it hugs her butt. I see it, man. Oh yeah, that's that's freaking awesome. That's a gorgeous name. Yeah. And so apparently, according to the reports, the last time she was seen alive was on July 10th of 1982. Her parents stated that she had wanted, she was at home and she wanted some ice cream. So they gave her some money and she left the house and walked to the street corner near her house. And at the corner, she accepted a ride from a man that she knew. Now, her skeletal remains weren't discovered until August 19th of that year. Um, they were found near Washington Park in a backyard on Magnolia Street. Along with the bones, authorities found clothing, a wallet, and jewelry. And she was identified when her bones were matched with x-rays from local hospitals. Holy shit, that's jacked. Then, a couple of days after he confessed to murdering Melissa Thomas in Opelousa, Louisiana, he told the authorities he was responsible for the death of two more women in the the Homa, Louisiana area. Now, the first Did one... Did you say homo? I said homo at first, and it's homa. It's homa. Yes. Yeah. I corrected. It's not homo. I said homo, but I corrected myself. It's homo. They don't allow the homos there. <laughs> That's not what he said. So, the first She's, woman... I, you know what, guys? She is sexist, because I, I, I... Matter of fact, she... Who's she, me? You. Shut up. I am not. She's homophobic. I am not. We just now saw that. I am not. I didn't even... I said homo. Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> Ma'am, I hate you. Gonna need you. You're at a, you're at a ten right now. I'm gonna need you to bring People, that down to a four. Rewind this back you know, to what up. I Security. originally said. Security, you need to come get her. Okay. I'd like to see that. <laughs> Me too. Actually, I'd be like, so, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. So the first woman was 55 year old Dorothy Richards from Gray. Her naked body was discovered near Woodlawn Ranch Road off Louisiana Highway 24 on September 14, 1982. The second victim was 40 year old Daisy McGuire from Homa. Her re- her remains were found somewhere along the 900 block of Magnolia Street on February 6, 1996. According to a statement issued by the Homa Police Chief of Detectives, Sergeant Travis Thoreau, <laughs> Little provided his interrogators with details that had never been released to the public. And he also gave, Thoreau also gave James Holland all the credit uh, for convincing Little to confess to the murders after maintaining his innocence for more than four years. Now, on November 19, 2018, Harrison County, Mississippi Sheriff Troy Peterson announced that Little had claimed responsibility for the death of a woman by the name of Julia Critchfield. The 36-year-old single mother of four was discovered on January 22, 1978. An autopsy revealed she had been manually strangled to death approximately two hours before she was thrown over a cliff off Mississippi Highway 67 and U.S. Highway 49. During their investigation, the authorities discovered that Julia didn't own a car. As a result, she either walked or relied on her friends to give her a ride where she went. On the night she was murdered, she left her house to go to Chris's lounge on Courthouse Road in Gulfport. Although witnesses claimed they saw her there, nobody knew when she left or if she was with anybody when she left. Investigators didn't receive any solid leads, so the case went cold. Then, in 2016, the Sun-Herald newspaper published an article about the unsolved case. That's when county investigator Caleb Mitchell and crime scene investigator Christy Johnson took over the investigation. 
Johnson told reporters that had the technology we have now been available in 78, her murder probably wouldn't have gone unsolved for 40 years. On November 20th, 2018, the authorities from Lee County revealed that Little had confessed to a previously unsolved murder from 2005. Then on August 8th of 2005, passing motorists found the remains of 46-year-old Nancy Carol Stevens near Tupelo. On autopsy revealed, she had been manually strangulated. Do you know where Tupelo is? It's in Mississippi. It's right next to one below. Thank you. <laughs> did you say Wumbelo? I did. I hate you. No, I, I want to interject this, by the way, because you gave me a groan at this joke today. I did. And you're a dick. I'm not. So I called her up right away. Tammy. 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 <laughs> Man, I was passing by this... Uh, I was passing by this uh, this warehouse. There was a big pile of Nikes outside. And she said, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. I was just wondering if it was a mass suicide. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I groaned. I was like, ugh. <laughs> People don't understand. I hear those dumb dad jokes all day. You may continue. Some, some, some throughout the night. <laughs> yeah, like when I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So in November 2018, Little told Lee County investigators that he and Nancy were driving around in his RV on that late summer evening. He said he pulled the vehicle into the parking lot of a Walmart on West Main. That's when he strangled her to death before he took her body and disposed of it on the side of County Road 41. Okay, now let's go to South Carolina. On November 21st of 2018, Little told investigators from Richland County, South Carolina, that he was responsible for an unsolved murder that occurred there in 1978. Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott was a rookie investigator for the county in 78. One of his first cases was the murder of 19-year-old Evelyn Weston. He said, cases like this you never forget. There's, they're always in the back of your mind. As Little was pouring out his many confessions to Holland, he claimed he murdered an unknown woman in South Carolina in 1978. Holland then contacted the Richland County Sheriff's Department to give them the information from Little's confession. Um, sorry, my thing went off and I was like, who's texting me? Uh, it was but it me. was you, yeah. Um, Holland then contacted the Richland County Sheriff's Department to give them the information from Little's confession. After receiving Holland's call, cold case investigators sifted through their unsolved cases until they found one that matched the murder described by Little. According to Lott, that's when, quote, things started to fall into place. The time frame of Elvin's death fell into the same time frame given by Little. The details he provided also matched the scene of the crime that weren't revealed to the public. There was one final detail, though, that convinced Lott that Little was responsible for Evelyn's murder. Her remains were discovered close to Fort Jackson. Little told investigators that he dumped this woman's body somewhere around a nearby military base. So it's like he almost gave him exactly where he dumped her body. Well, at least he did that. We're not going to go through all of his victims, though, right? Because no. he had like, no. he had like a no. couple hundred victims I'm or something like that. I'm almost done. I mean, I still have a few left, but these are the confirmed cases. All right. I just want to make sure that no, we weren't going to go through. No, there's a crap like... ton that is unconfirmed. Because he's got a huge body count. Yes. Yes. I mean, they were able to confirm 60 of them. And I'm not even going through all 60. Jesus. So, yeah, no, on the same day Little claimed responsibility for killing Evelyn Wesson, he confessed to murdering uh, 20-year-old Rosie Hill in Marion County, Florida in 1982. 
Sergeant Michael Mongaluzzo said he was amazed by Little's confession, mostly because he provided specific yet important minor details of murders that he had committed almost four decades before. He said it's scary the clarity he was about uh, the clarity he had about certain things after all that time. He remembered names and faces. At some point during the interrogation, Manga Luzo asked Little how he had been able to avoid being arrested for murder for decades. Little didn't hesitate to give the answer. He said, I can go into my world and do what I want. Then he explained that his world consisted of poverty-stricken neighborhoods around the country, areas where unsolved murders and drug addiction weren't all that uncommon. Then Little said something that really answered the question. I won't go into your world. Jesus. So, But we had talked about that back when Alton Coleman and Denise Brown, remember? Because they targeted... Uh, young African-American children in the ghetto. Right, because, you know, I've brought this up before, is Mm -hmm. is the impoverished and and prostitutes, the throwaway people. Right. And nobody gives a shit. And a black person can go into a black neighborhood and commit crimes without people giving it a second look. Right, exactly. You know, now, my big fat ass, you know, being as white as I am. Dude, if you went to the ghetto, everybody would be on high alert. They'd be like, what's this white bitch in my ghetto? I got out of my truck to get gas in North Portland. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, I swear, like, everybody that was in shot turned around like, what's this white motherfucker doing the over here? What the fuck is He's going on big here? big and white with a truck and cowboy hat. Are they having a Ku Klux Klan rally? <laughs> like, are they moving <laughs> that in? we didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, I, I saw people on their phones and, man, I would watch out. I think the Klan's moving in. Um, and I'm sitting there, dude, I just want to get gas that's all i want to do i just want to get some gasoline yeah. some petrol and get the hell out of here you know and everything all right clansman it's like thanks appreciate that <laughs> appreciate that i'm i don't have a hood i'm not part of the ku klux klan i swear you awful white to be up here on mlk no i know <laughs> i know but i'm yeah. also freaking stupid and uh, was almost out of gas so don't don't look at my whiteness so much. Look at the fact of that I'm an idiot, <laughs> and and I could have gotten gas where I'm not gonna freaking. You, yeah, it, it's a weird thing being the only white guy and seeing a bunch of scared black people going. Oh, oh yeah, that's like the Ku Klux Klan moving in. That's what's yeah. happening. You know, and as gentrified as Northeast Portland is now, there's still some leery people there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to be able to go all over Northeast Portland because you know I dated one of the biggest crack dealers in town at one point, but whatever. And so, then, and you have a lot of crack, so fuck that you. helps too. <laughs> I hate you. Again, people, I'm tired of him telling me my ass is big. Didn't say it was big. Just said you had a lot of crack. Yeah, I know. I know what you said. I know what you implied too. Oh my god, I'm dying over here. <laughs> that was almost as bad as yeah, your ass eats Tokyo comment you made that one time. But anyway, well, you know. If the Godzilla fits. <laughs> so on November 27th of 2018, the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP team, positively confirmed 34 of Little's 93 victims, alleged Ooh, victims. Damn. As of that point, they were able to corroborate the majority of the information he had provided them. He hadn't made any effort to lead them astray or misguide their investigations. Therefore, they were continuing to work with him in an effort to solve more unsolved crimes <coughs> around the nation. Unlike, you know, Lucas and Tool. So on that same day, Little confessed to an unsolved murder that occurred in Prince George County, Maryland, 1972. Until that revealing day in 2018, the homicide of Jane Doe in 1972 haunted Prince George County 
investigators for decades. Back on December 1st, 1972, the only evidence detectives has was the skeletal remains of an unknown female. The bones of an unknown woman were discovered by a hunter who stumbled upon them in the woods approximately six months after she had died. Detectives had no clue as to who she was, where she came from, or how she died. They didn't know if her death was a result of foul play or natural causes. One of the 93 murders that Little confessed to committing matched up with the death of this Jane Doe, whose remains were discovered in Laurel, Maryland about a half, about 50 years before. This Jane Doe was also Prince George County's longest unidentified homicide victim. On the day the PGC detectives, the Prince George County detectives, went to question Little, there was approximately five law enforcement agencies lined up to interrogate him. Before they entered the room to question Little, they were told that there's one catch. Do not directly ask him, let's do this for the family, because Little never thought his victims were deserving of any remorse. He would automatically shut down if any of the investigators said, you want to do this for the family. If that happened, they wouldn't get any information from him. You want to know why on a psychology level? Why? Because it brings him too close to the victims, and then you Right, he has to identify with them as being human. As being people, yeah. Yes. So even though more than 45 years had come and gone, Little was able to recall even the most minute details of his crimes. He told detectives about the signs he saw along the way, the dirt roads he drove down, and the exact U-turn he took. Then he pointed out precisely where he dumped this James Doe's body. Every detail he provided matched with that crime scene from 1972. I don't understand how people like him and Keith Jesperson can't can remember can shit. Turn by turn directions on where he dumped his bodies. Yeah, it's like I, it's I frightening. Honest, I can't remember what I did today. I can't even tell you the route I took from my house to Fred Myers to get your meds. <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea. I mean, I can't tell you what happened, like, on my way through, because I, I left out of Seattle. Yeah. Um, I I can't remember what happened going through Seattle. And this dude here, like, well, 40 years ago, we took a left on Fifth Street, and then I, there was a dog barking on the corner wearing a red collar, and uh, it was a it was a Pekingese. And uh, then uh, I went by a white fence with a, the, one of the slats was missing, and it's like, God dang, dude. Right. Fuck. So, um, let's see here. Since Little was had already been sentenced to three life sentences in California by this point, the, the uh, Prince George County officials chose not to pursue further charges. However, they considered the case to be closed, you know, even though they didn't identify her remains. Fair enough, yeah. Right, because it's like, what's the point of bringing him up on charges? He's already serving three life terms. Why waste our money? We're a small county. That's what I was going to say, man. Why you waste know, that budget? Blow the budget on a, on exactly. a capital case when he's... He's yeah, not going anywhere. Exactly. And what are you going to do? Give him, are you going to bring him back to life so he can serve out your life sentence too? Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's, it's, it's retarded. So according to Bernie Nelson, one of the Prince George County detectives, he said talking with him as in Little, you can hear he actually gets excited about describing his homicides and describing how he strangled his victims. He could look you right in your eye and said he couldn't help himself. He's a monster. I felt that way with a few of my ex-wives. I probably could have looked you in your eye, in the eye, and said, "Oh yeah, no, I had a good time strangling and choking the shit out of her." Yeah, no shit, yo. <laughs> With all the details Little was providing them, they hoped he'd help them figure out her identity, especially since he had shown throughout the interviews that he had what they considered almost a photographic memory. 
According to Sergeant Greg McDonald from Prince George County, he said it gives us hope that she will be identified eventually. It gives us a direction to look. It develops more leads to look at. Here is a description that Little gave them. Okay, Little said he met a woman in the district at the old Greyhound station off New York Avenue. And the two of them spent three days together before they drove to a wooded area along I-295. According to Little, they pulled off to have conceptual se- sex on a dirt road along Maryland Route 197. And that's where he said he took her life and disposed of her body. <laughs> he went on to tell the detectives about the woman's last minutes of life. He said the woman was in the backseat of his car when he strangled her. After he thought she was dead, she regained consciousness. After that, she tried to get away, but he quickly caught up to her and overpowered her and made sure he killed her before he left the area. According to Little's description and the medical examiner's report, they came up with this description of the woman. She was a Caucasian female in her 20s with dirty blonde or reddish, reddish blonde hair. She was approximately 5 foot 2 to 5 foot 6 inches high or tall. That's what I meant. So he gave them little more information than he knew. Little gave them more information than they knew before. The woman told him she was from Massachusetts. She also recently divorced with one child. According to one detective, he actually was upset that she was not found sooner because he wanted to actually see pictures of her in the news. Rennie killed her. Jamie Christmas. What a peach. This particular case is actually one of the only two unsolved Jane Doe cases in that county. Holy shit. Then on December 13, 2018, Little was indicted on another murder charge, this one in Warren County, Kentucky, for killing 23-year-old Linda Sue Bortz in 1981. The last time Linda was seen alive was on the evening of May 11, 1981. That night, she went to a nightclub in Bowling Green with her sister and brother-in-law. And according to reports, when the married couple left the club, she told them she was going to stay in town for the night. Her naked body was found four days later on May 15th. She was laying in a farm field on Hydro Pondsville Road off U.S. Highway 68. According to uh, the Warren County coroner at the time, she had been murdered somewhere else before her corpse was dumped in the field. Then he confessed to the uh, murder in Knox County, Tennessee from 1975. At the time of his confession, he stated that he remembered her first name was Martha. He also said that he truly liked the women that truly liked this woman and never intended for her to be one of his 90 plus victims. After his confession, the information was sent to the Knox County Sheriff's office and veteran cold case detective, David Davenport caught the case and set out trying to find out who Martha was. After combing through newspaper archives and old police reports from that time, he learned it was more than likely 34 year old Martha Cunningham. He also learned that Martha's murder wasn't even an open cold case. Because the Knoxville mother's cause of death was attributed to natural causes at the time of her death. The authorities may have been quick to dismiss Martha's cause of death. Her family, not so much. According to Martha's sister, she said, I never believed my sister died of natural causes. None of us did. According to reports, Martha was a very talented pianist and vocalist who was passionate about her family and faith. In fact, she, along with her six younger siblings, grew up performing with their parents, Mary and Clyde Lane. The nine family members were known as the Happy Home Jubilee Singers, a local gospel group in Knoxville. The last time she was seen alive was on New Year's Eve, 1974. 
According to her sister, Martha was on her way to Parkview House of God, her church in Knoxville, to attend their evening prayer service. Her partially clothed body was found by two hunters on January 18th of 1975 in East Knox County in a wooded area off Oglesby Road. Now, she was naked from the waist down and badly bruised. Now, listen, check this out. This is what I, I'm shaking my head in disgust. I'm checking it out. Okay. According to the reports, her girdle and stockings were bunched down around her knees and her jewelry and her purse were never found. At the time, the detectives on the scene noted that it appeared that if someone might have dragged her body into the woods before dumping it behind a pine tree. The medical examiner performed the autopsy and listed her cause of death as unknown in his official report. In spite of that and the circumstances surrounding her disappearance and where and how her body was found, less than 24 hours after her remains were found, the detectives closed the case saying that they had officially declared that her she had died from natural causes. Now, here's what's else. According to her sister, Martha didn't drive. He, how was she going to get there? out there right so i did a little research and discovered that oglesby road is nearly eight miles east of where martha's church which is still standing is to this day (laughs) knowing that i can see why her family wasn't willing to accept her death was natural right well that and the way her body was found which you can't logically attribute to scavengers in the area you know what i mean because her girdle wouldn't have been pulled down that low due to scavengers it might have been torn apart but not pulled low Right. Well, that no scavenger is going to sit right. there and go, hold on, let me get my Let hands me address and, this broad. Yeah, we're going to address her first. We're going to use a little salt, a little pepper. Yeah. Any, anybody got some soy sauce? You're going to address this turkey. <laughs> God dang. That's I know. Right. That, I'm so sorry. That's that was wrong. horrible. What the hell's wrong with you? You need Jesus. I do. That was bad. I apologize. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> and all the, and save all the starving pygmies in Africa. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how the prayer goes, but okay. <laughs> So I did a little, um, oh wait, no, little told Knox County detectives that Martha was one of many prostitutes he had picked up over the years. However, the authorities say they didn't have any criminal record on her at all. There also weren't any reports linking her to illicit sexual activities. Her family and friends adamantly insist little's allegations of Martha being involved in the sex trade were completely false. According to her sister, she was not a prostitute. She was a good woman. Um, Little stated that on the night he killed her, he had taken Martha out to eat at a restaurant and they were out until late in the night before he drove her back home in the rain. He claimed that when she went to the door of the house that she dropped her off at, the older woman she was living with would not let her in. He said that that's when Martha got back in his vehicle and the two of them drove halfway out of town and parked somewhere in the hills surrounding Knoxville. He said he couldn't remember exactly where they ended up, but he did recall that his car got stuck in the ditch for a moment. He said that once they were parked, he turned and tried to kiss Martha, but as he put his hands on her neck, she rebuffed his advances. This made him angry, and he be- they began to struggle, and he pulled her un- undergarments down and tried to pin her on the seat. At that point, he wrapped his fingers around her neck and choked her. However, she started having a seizure at the time, and he claimed that is what ultimately killed her. Right? So... On May 31st, 2019, prosecutors in Cuyahoga 
Cuyahoga County, Ohio, revealed they had indicted Little on four counts of aggravated murder and six counts of kidnapping. The charges were the result of Little confessing to the murder of two women in Cleveland in 1984 and 1991. He also confessed to another murder in Cleveland that hadn't been confirmed yet. Little not only confessed to killing a total of three women in Cleveland, he also said he murdered four other women in Ohio. According to him, he picked two up in Cincinnati, one of those he dumped in just outside of Columbus. Then he picked up another woman in Akron and another woman in Columbus, and the one from Columbus he dumped in Kentucky. I mean, it's just, he was all over the map. <laughs> hey, man, he's a hard worker. Right. I like him. So on August 24th, 1991, the body of Rose Evans formerly Rose Smith, was found near Cedar Avenue on East 39th Avenue. It was somewhat hidden under a stack of tires in a vacant lot. Until Little's <laughs> confession, detectives didn't know how her remains wound up in this empty lot with tires piled on and around them. County Coroner Elizabeth K. Balraj, B-A-L-R-A-J, ruled her death was the result of strangulation. According to Little, he came across Rose and approximately four other men smoking crack in the alley. Apparently, he joined them in their activities and the child, the drugs, were gone. At that point, Rose asked him to take her somewhere so she could score more drugs. Once he had her in his 1977 bubble top Ford Econoline, yes, chomo van, <laughs> he forced her to get in the back. According to Little, she began screaming, you're going to kill me, you're going to strangle me, right before he did just that. She should have figured that out with the chimo van right there, you know? Right. Now, hey, you have a panel van. Only thing you're missing is a big sense is free candy, and I'm a murderer. Maybe I shouldn't be getting in this van. Just saying, right? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take my drug addicted ass over here and find a different way to get some more dope. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see here. Let me go on. Let's see. Do do do. According to blah blah blah. Okay. Then in 1984, after little. Confessed to after Lil's confession, it wasn't difficult to link one of his claimed victims to Rose Evans. However, retired homicide detective and current cold case investigator Jack Bornfield had a little bit more difficult task identifying another victim, twenty-year-old, I mean twenty-one-year-old Mary Jo Payton. The main reason for this difficulty was because at the time her death wasn't ruled a homicide. When her remains were found on July third, nineteen eighty-four, the state of decomposition was so advanced a cause of death could not be positively determined. At the time, local authorities teamed up with an expert anthropologist to create a composite of the victim. Even then, she remained a Jane Doe until sometime in 1992. That's when law enforcement officials submitted her thumbprint into the newly implemented FBI VICAP database, and they got a match. Even so, they never had any details about how she had died until 2018 when Little made his confessions. According to Little, he was at a bar near Euclid Avenue and East 105th when he picked Mary Jo up. He told the authorities that the unknown woman was in her 20s with brown hair and a little on the plumper side. His words. Hey, man, I like a little yeah. chunky chick. Little went on to say that the two of them were in his 1976 Thunderbird when they decided to park behind a group of old factories. He said the two of them engaged in consensual sex. However, she became leery when he reached up and began touching her neck. Her suspicions angered him, and he choked her to death. He said that after he killed Mary Jo, he tossed her body over a railing into a 10 to 20 foot deep stairwell, and he even gave the investigators a detailed description of the building's bluish pink bricks. 
Mary's Joe's corp was in that deep stairwell for several weeks. Then one day, a small child noticed that a kitten had wandered off to that area. In an effort to find the animal, the child went to some employees of the factory and asked them for help. And while they were looking for the kitten, they came across the remains of Mary Joe. When Bornfield was finished interviewing Little in 2018, the killer looked like he was cheerful and upbeat. The investigator said Little fist bumped him and conveyed his hopes that the Cleveland Brown football team would be able to find a new head coach before the two parted ways. Little said, I hope this helped you. <laughs> right? Wow. And then there's the Cleveland Jane Doe in 1983. According to a report on June 2nd, 2019, the Plain Dealer reported that two cold case detectives in Willoughby Hills, Ohio, were looking with working with Little to close a cold case that had gone unsolved for more than 30 years. According to the reports, the remains of Jane Doe were discovered by a man who was out walking his dog on March 18, 1983, and the woman's body was dumped off I-271 down a grousy slope into a wooded area near a fence. The authorities later discovered that she had been murdered sometime in 1977 or 1978. Okay. By the time her remains were found, they were only a skeleton. However, there were some jewelry and clothing items found nearby. At the time, the coroner was unable to determine how long the remains had been in the area, not to mention the woman's cause of death. In 1983, local detectives attempted to find the woman's identity. They released this information. The woman was clothed clothed in a bluish green colored dress. A man's Elgin watch was found on her left wrist and she had one gold colored ring on one finger. Further information revealed that a dark sweater was discovered in the dead leaves around the area and pinned to the sweater was a pearlescent colored brooch. According to the county coroner, the woman was more likely a young black woman. She was between the age of 20 and 35 with a petite or short frame. Even though the local authorities worked with an expert anthropologist to develop a composite, they didn't receive any credible leads that would identify her or how her remains wound up where they were. Sometime in 2018, cold case detectives Ron Parmerter and Jamie Onion decided to try and solve one of the... Oh, I know. <laughs> really? One of the only who like, done it for cases real? for their department. I know. I, I mean, I really... If your last name is something like Onion, you would think you would change it. You would think. Because you had to have caught hell through school. Yeah, exactly. That's um, jacked up. Sorry, Jamie Onion, but <laughs> it's pretty fucked up, dude. So according to Little, he never <laughs> learned the unknown woman's name since he'd only spent half an hour with her before he strangled her to death. He choked her to death while they were in Cleveland. But once she was dead, he continued to drive down the highway before he pulled over and tossed her body to the side near this wood, this fence in a wooded area. He said, the only thing I remember her saying when she realized I was damn crazy was, oh shit. When Little began confessing the murder of approximately 93 women in 19 states, the authorities had to find a, a way to link them to unsolved crimes. Even so, the Jane Doe from Willoughby Hills and the outsiders of Cleveland never crossed their radar. However, as they went over the details of the cold case, they felt it matched with one of Little's confessed killings. They were already working the other end of the case when they went and talked to him and come to find out he thought he was headed to Columbus on the highway, but he had taken a wrong turn and headed east instead of south, which they said is happens a lot in their area. That's before GPS. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Um, 
when Onion interviewed him, interview Little, she said, she said, how convinced are you that their Jane Doe was his third Cleveland victim? He said, I'm totally convinced it's her. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He actually, they showed him an aerial view of where this woman's body was found, and he pointed right to where the body was located without them saying her body was found here. Holy shit. Yeah. So um, then in, on June 7th, 2019, law enforcement officials in Hamilton County, Ohio, announced they were able to finally close a 40-year-old cold case from 1981. During his confessions, Little claimed responsibility for the deaths of two women from Cincinnati. The first was 33-year-old Anna Stewart, a single mother of three young boys. Whenever a detective or prosecutor went to interview Little, they had to agree to one condition. He agreed that he would confess to the murders he was com- he had committed as long as they wouldn't seek the death penalty. Okay. Now at the time when Hamilton County prosecutor, Joe Dieters wanted to interview little, he wasn't willing to make that concession. He was like, no, if we're going to investigate this, we're going to seek the death penalty. Then he went back over the cases. And when the murders were committed, ultimately he agreed to little's terms because in 1980s, when these crimes were committed, they didn't have death penalty on the rook. So it was a pretty, easy decision for him to say, okay, we won't seek the death penalty, because they couldn't. Okay. Yeah. The last time Anna was seen alive was on October 6th, 1981. That day, she took a cab to General Hospital, which is now called University of Cincinnati Medical Center. I thought that was a soap opera. I know, right? (laughs) According to a statement given by the cab driver at the time, she was going to visit her sister, who was a patient there. Anna's remains were discovered in Grove City, Ohio, a town approximately 10 miles south of Columbus. According to the Emmys report, she was strangled to death on October 11th. Once she was dead, Little drove her body to a wooded area and dumped it behind an apartment complex where it was found the next day. Then he also told Dieters that he had picked up another woman in Cincinnati sometime between 1980 and 1999. He said that he strangled her to death and dumped her corpse under a billboard. Check this out. I get a little... I'm ashamed of myself here. He thought it was, quote, an advertisement for cool cigarettes. In other words, somewhere in the hood, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not. Okay. Look, look, look here. Look, I'm not saying that only black people smoke cools or or Newports or Newports. I'm just saying that every time I've ever bummed a cigarette from somebody that's black, They've been a menthol. It's been a menthol. I used to smoke been Newports. A Newport, or it's been a cool. Yeah, that's I, all I'm saying. I used to smoke Newport Kings until I found Marlboro Smooth, which are more minty and not mentholy. So the authorities and Little do not know the identity of this victim. However, he was able to give them a description, and he drew a composite of her himself. The details Little gave included that she was a slender black woman wearing glasses and a wig. When Little was going over the details of his Jane Doe composite with Dieters, he gave them additional notes. First, he said her actual skin color was darker, but he didn't have a pencil dark enough to illustrate the color of her skin. He also stated that she lived with a, quote, a heavy female Hispanic in the over the Rhine, an impoverished neighborhood of Cincinnati. That's the perfect woman. I swear to God. What? Fat Hispanics. That's who she lived with. I know. Yeah. Let me tell you why. Tell me why. They'll feed you. Now, okay. <laughs> Any okay. fat woman will no, feed you. No, hear, hear me out. Hear me out because my love of Mexican food. That's true. Heavy set Mexican women will feed you like nobody else because, number one, they, they know how to cook really, really, really well. 
Yes. You know, Maritza, just like old Korean women. Maritza couldn't cook. You want to know why? Because when her and I got together, she was, you know, really small. She did, you know, she eh. hadn't gained any weight. She was, you know, really compact and and and, and slender, and she couldn't cook. So you can look at her body and go, that's a tight body. She's got big tits. Don't know how to cook. Doesn't know how to cook. So I did all the cooking. You get yourself a chunky black, uh, a chunky Mexican woman. I guarantee you that you're going to have to go to the gym, number one, because every, like, you're going to wake up in the morning and they're going to be feeding you stuff and lunches and everything. I was going to say, that sounds like old Korean women. Korean grandmas love to feed people. I still want two young Korean girls. Korean grandmas will feed you. Nice. And you cannot leave their house without eating something. It's like going to, you know, freaking a Mexican party, man. Yeah, how many, every time we went to go visit her in Hadaboji, there was always a spread on the table. Always. So how much longer do we have on this one? Um, I'm almost done. Okay. Yeah, I only have like a couple paragraphs left. So, um, <laughs> let's see here. The, there were details about Cincinnati Jane Doe that were unclear, though. Mainly when she was murdered and how old she was. According to the authorities... <laughs> They estimated her age between the age of 15 and 50. Jesus. They also stated that she was strangled to death sometime between 1980 and 1999. Could they get any more vague? <laughs> she was anywhere from 2 to 110. Right. And she died between the uh, early 1800s and sometime in the future. Right. Freaking so idiots. in an effort to try to help them identify this well, Jane I don't even Doe, know why they even said that. I know, why, why right? did they describe this guy? Why don't they just be honest? You know, look, we just don't. We don't know. Fucking know. Yeah, and then yeah. people go. You know what? I understand. Yeah. It, 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 they it sounds they sound stupid when they give that large span. You're like, she was between uh, fifteen yeah. and eighty years old, and she was strangled sometime from the seventies through like right now. It's, it's, dude, just admit. Hey, look, we have no friggin' idea. And people go, okay, oh, I understand. Well, check this out. In an effort to learn her identity, they actually released two composites to the media. One was Little's personal rendering of the victim that he drew himself. And the second was a digitally remastered uh, rendering showing her with darker skin and no wig. So after Dieters was finished interviewing Little, he actually released a statement to the media. He told the reporters he's just evil. Period. You know the saying, only the good die young? Well, this piece of garbage is 79 years old today. The English language simply doesn't contain the words necessary to describe the horrific things that Little did. He's the epitome of evil. And that's the end of part two. Is he still alive? No. Rotten bastard. I know. How dare he? Him and Laverne Pabernack. I was telling telling Keith that you were upset that Laverne died before we could talk to her. It's rude. It's rude. How the hell are we? Look here, serial killers. Don't you die on me before we get you on the show and we feature you because you're going to piss me off. That's right. That's rude. Somebody should smack your mom. Especially someone as recent as Little, right? Right. Yeah. Freaking bastard. So, yeah. So that's the end of part two. I have one more part. Groovy, groovy. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Um, if you want t-shirts, go to our, our eBay page. That's all I have. Just, I'm just, I'm, I know, just, I'm huh? burned out, man. I got to eat something or murder somebody either way. Anyway, this show's got the way you got to satisfy a hunger. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yes. <laughs> and you haven't Hero. dropped off two Korean women to me yet. 
we all know that's not going to happen. I told you they didn't even have to stay. I'm not making them live in a kennel or anything. They're, they're free range. I'm going to have them chipped. I am so in case they get chipped. lost. What? <sighs> this show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And we will see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.